Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is Series 3, Episode 113 of this Daily Study Podcast. Thank you once again for joining us as we begin a new study of Come Follow Me this week, looking at the April 19th to April 25th materials, covering Doctrine Covenant sections 41 to 44, My Law to Govern My Church. And today we're covering the first section, Doctrine and Covenants section 41, which is titled in the manual, He that receiveth my law and doeth it, the same is my disciples. Um, so this is obviously uh, the, the first section we're looking at. And this is the first section that is received uh, in, in the Ohio. Joseph and Emma have uh, traveled there, along with many other saints as well. Uh, and they have um, settled there. And they met with Neil K. Whitney, um, who... Joseph um, said had prayed him there uh, and there's this wonderful experience that's been shared many times where he arrives in Ohio and sees Neil K. Whitney and says Neil K. Whitney thou art the man and um, basically to paraphrase Neil K. Whitney's response he says well I don't know you uh, so you have an advantage over me uh, and it turns out that Neil K. Whitney had been praying for the prophet to come uh, and the prophet recognized him from his prayer um, which was incredible. And he, he and Emma stayed with uh, Newell K. Whitney and his wife for four weeks in the, in their home. Uh, but Doctrine and Covenants section 41 uh, is given to Joseph Smith um, in response to if, apparently a couple of things. Um, it says in the Joseph Smith Papers revelations, quote, According to John Whitmer's headnotes, inscribed a few months later in spring 1831, the revelation was in a response to Joseph Smith's prayer regarding an offer made by new converts, Lehman Copley, to provide Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon houses and provisions on his farm in Thompson Township, Ohio, about 20 miles east of Kirtland. Joseph Smith and his family were in need of housing because of their recent move, and Sidney and Phoebe Rigdon had lost a house apparently being built for them by his former Campbellite congregation in nearby Mentor, Ohio, when he converted to the Church of Christ. Early published versions of this revelation did not include Whitmer's headnote, and in later histories neither Joseph Smith nor Whitmer connected Copley's offer to this revelation. Both histories instead placed the revelation in the context of concerns about religious excesses among the new church members in Ohio. Close quote. So it seems that this prayer, this revelation, sorry, was given in response to another prayer. And it's wonderful how, you know, up to this point, pretty much every revelation we've had in the Doctrine and Covenants is in response to a prayer on behalf of the prophet. And it shows us once again the importance of revelation and how we can all receive revelation and direction and guidance uh, from the Lord uh, in, in the things that we require, uh, which is a great blessing to, to know about, I think, because we can, it's something we can really directly apply into our own lives. Further, regarding Doctrine and Covenants section 41, Joseph Smith's history gives this introduction, quote, The branch of the church in this part of the Lord's Vineyard, which had increased to nearly 100 members, were striving to do the will of God so far as they knew it, though some had strange notions and false spirits had crept in among them. With a little caution and some wisdom, I assisted the brethren and I assisted the brethren and sisters to overcome them. The plan of common stock, which had existed in what was called the family, whose members generally had embraced the everlasting gospel, was readily, readily abandoned for the more perfect law of the Lord, and the false spirits were easily discerned and rejected by the light of revelation. Close quote. Basically, um, the, the individuals that joined the church had already been living some sort of law 
uh, where there was all things common among them. And basically, because they were living this uh, in a certain way, it was causing problems. Uh, and and they had turned to the prophets for direction and guidance on what the law should be. How should they live? Uh, now, of course, um, the prophet Joseph Smith had just arrived and he wanted to seek this revelation for them. Uh, and what's interesting is that um, this revelation doesn't necessarily lay out the law as such. That comes in Doctrine and Covenants 42. and We'll talk more about that over the next couple of days. But it does um, do something quite significant, and that is called the first bishop of the church, um, which, of course, was Edward Partridge, who we've discussed earlier. Um, and what we'll do now is we'll have a look at um, Doctrine and Covenants section 41, just cover a, a few of the key principles that come out of that for me personally. Um, but once again, if there's something that comes out personally for you, I'd love for you to share it uh, on the Facebook group or, uh, or, or through the email session at gmail.com. So in section 41, uh, it says in verse 1, Hearken and hear, O ye my people, saith the Lord and your God, ye whom I delight to bless with the greatest of all blessings, that ye hear me, and ye hear ye that hear me not, while I curse, that have professed my name with the heaviest of all cursings. This indicates the des desire and the delight which the Lord has to bless us. Um, Daniel L. Johnson says this, quote, the Lord is our Father, and as our Father, He loves us. Because He loves us, He wants to bless us both temporally and spiritually. In order to bestow His blessings on His children in a just and equitable manner, the Lord has instituted laws that govern those blessings and that He wants us He wants all of us to enjoy. The Lord knew from the beginning that we, His children, would be faced with temporal and spiritual adversities during this mortal life. Indeed, these adversities are a vital part of this mortal probation. He knew that we would stand in need of his blessings throughout our lives in order to not only survive our individual trials, but also to enjoy a degree of comfort and even prosperity. Close quote. So this uh, is an invitation to the Lord or from the Lord to us, those people in the Ohio, and I believe to us today, uh, to keep the law, to keep the commandments and the blessings will flow unto us because he desires to, to give these blessings to us. But of course, you know, there are laws in heaven which upon breath these blessings are predicated, which we'll learn about many times throughout the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, and so this is something which we need to remember about the Lord is that he desires to bless us. Um, as we move forward through this section, he then says in verse 2, Hearken, O ye elders, elders of my church, whom I have called. Behold, I give unto your commandments that ye shall assemble yourselves together to agree upon my word. Again, we're looking at a, an idea of unity here. The Lord desires unity among his elders. Hugh W. Pinnock said this, quote, You see, one of the facets that makes us different is that we strive for compatibility. We sustain our leaders and generally follow their counsel and direction. There are many reasons to be unified, but perhaps the greatest reason is that we have been asked to be one. In the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord asks, asks us to assemble ourselves to agree upon his word. Joseph Smith stated, unity is power. When speaking about stability in governments, just so unity adds power in the church and in our families. Close quote. This unity comes through again. Um, and in verse three, it says, and by the prayer of faith, ye shall receive my law that you may know how to govern my church and have all things right before me. So in essence, the Lord is saying, you know, the, the, the law is not given yet. Um, you will receive the law, but you need to pray in faith for it and it will come. 
Uh, and we see many times throughout church history, you know, invitations for the saints to pray in faith and the blessings do flow. And in verse nine, it says, and again, I have called my servant Edward Partridge and I give a commandment that he should be appointed by the voice of the church and ordained a bishop un unto the church to leave his merchandise and to spend all his time in the labours of the church. This is an incredible moment because, of course, it is, you know, the first bishop of the church that it's called. It's also indicated that it's appointed through the voice of the church. So once again, uh, we see the idea of common consent uh, coming through, which is right from the beginning of the church. Um, and also, uh, and let's not forget, this church has not even been established for over a year, for a year yet. Uh, we see this organization starting to take place. Um, we also learn a little bit more about uh, Edward Partridge himself. In verse 11, it says a wonderful thing about him. And this because his heart is pure before me, for he is like unto Nathaniel of old, in whom there is no guile. Um, Nathaniel, interestingly, in the Bible, was this individual who was told about um, the Saviour. Um, and, and he basically said, until I see him, I won't believe. Or can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was something he said, um, from what I remember. And then when he sees the Saviour, he is converted. And that's interesting because it parallels um, Edward Partridge's conversion. He heard about Joseph Smith. He kind of had questions and was fairly sceptic. But then he saw Joseph and met him as an individual and was converted um, straight away, uh, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but then Robert D. Hells um, talks about how, you know, without having guile, um, it's like this. He says, quote, questions and criticisms give us an opportunity to reach out to others and demonstrate that they matter to our Heavenly Father and to us. Our aim should be to help them understand the truth, not defend our egos or score points in a theological debate. Our heartfelt testimonies are the most powerful answer we can give our accusers, and such testimonies can only be born in love and meekness. We should be like Edward Partridge. These qualities are first learned in the home and family can be practiced in our relationships. To be guileless is to look for our own fault first. When accused, we should ask, as the Saviour's apostles did, Lord, is it I? If we listen to the answer given by the Spirit, we can, if needed, make corrections and apologise, seek forgiveness and do better. Close quote. I love that um, definition or explanation on what being without guile means, because I think it's something that, which can be a little bit confusing at first. It sounds like it's a good thing, but what does it actually mean? And that's what it is. It's to have that humility, but also um, that desire um, to, to do the right thing as well, uh, which I think is such an important attribute to have as a, as a disciple of Christ. Thank you very much for listening today. I'm glad we got through that section because section 42 is a big one. So I'll spend a couple of days or so on that. Um, thank you for listening to this podcast and please do share it with one other person that you think may be interested. Thank you for your time and until you meet again.